1: Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today.
2: Okay, welcome to the podcast. This show gives me the opportunity to interview some of the world's best direct response copywriters, and it's fascinating to hear from them how they got started, what they do, and the things they've learned along the way. So today, we are talking with Doberman Dan, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about how you became Doberman Dan, but Dan is a, a master copywriter, is a serial entrepreneur, and has written a number of books on copywriting. So... Let's get started with a little bit of the background, the backstory. Um, where did you grow up? What was that like? Where did you go to school? That sort of thing. Because I do know that along the way, you kind of made a very significant left turn career-wise to become uh, what you are today. But let's start with the backstory.
3: story. Uh, thanks for asking. It's always kind of fun to share that because, um, like, nobody – I have not met a single – Copywriter yet, who, when you ask them, so you know, what's your backstory? They said, Well, since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a copywriter. Nobody ever wanted to be a copywriter. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Barberton, Ohio, a small town, northeastern Ohio, near Akron, Cleveland, uh, very blue collar. And so that was, I guess, you would call us lower middle class. Uh, <laughs> that was my uh my indoctrination my indoctrination was well we broke so unless you get a scholarship you ain't going to college so what folks like usins do is we get a job at Goodyear or Firestone or this is back when all the rubber companies when Akron was still the rubber capital of the world that was like that was the best you could expect you know so I thought, no, I can do better. So I got a civil service job, <laughs> which, you know, I, I didn't intend to get into that either. All the things I've done for a living, Bruce, was mostly because there was no life direction whatsoever or career direction. I was just kind of, you know, stumbled into things. So, so yeah, so I, I, the first job I could find out of high school was a night watchman position at one of the rubber factories that was on strike. So then I met some of the local cops and then I moved to Dayton and I got a job in security at, well, loss prevention is what they call it, at a regional department store. We looked for shoplifters. So I met more of the cops down there and then the city of Dayton was giving a civil service test and some of my friends were taking it. I took that. Again, no life or career planning. Long story short, I got on the Dayton Police Department, and so that was like the first real job I had. Never intended to get into that line of work, Um, but in a roundabout way, that's how I wound up becoming an entrepreneur,
2: actually. (laughs) Okay, so so that's the left turn I was talking about. How does a police officer become an entrepreneur and become a world-renowned copywriter? Well,
3: so, like, nobody ever talked to me or any of the, like, people in my socioeconomic class, none of the people I grew up with, nobody ever talked about starting a business. That was just, like, one kid out of our entire high school that I know of. His parents owned a business. So it was a totally foreign concept to me. Um, But I knew I hadn't been on the police department very long, and I realized, like, this is not where I want to spend the rest of my life. So, uh, somebody hit me up for the Amway business. And when they showed me that I got the concept of, Oh, wait a minute, I could do this thing. And when I reached this one level, I make, I remember the figure exactly. I make $2,138. And that was about equal or actually more than I was making on the police department $2, $2,138 a month. And I thought, Oh, I get it now. So, I, when I'm making that money, I can leave my job and have the time freedom to do the stuff I really want to do. And the, the, really the thing I believe now I was supposed to do was I was supposed to be a professional musician. But, uh, so I saw that and I thought, okay, I finally can do what I really am supposed to do and have the income that I don't have to worry about making uh, money as a musician. And it was the first time, like I had ever even considered that option of, owning my own business. So long story short, I failed at that, but at least it got me on the path of wanting to be an entrepreneur. So for nine years after I saw the Amway business, I was a serial entrepreneurial failure. (laughs) I still had a full-time job on the police department, uh, but I kept starting these side businesses now, I didn't know about direct response marketing back then. So these were all traditional business. So I failed at Amway. did that a long time. Never made a dime. Uh, tried another MLM. Um, started a bunch of different businesses. Probably two to three businesses a year for nine years. All failures. Not, not as if, not like they made money and then they failed. No, they, none of them ever made a dime. <laughs> they were nothing but a, a hole that sucked all my spare time and all my spare money. Well, that's not true. Yes, all my spare money, but even money I didn't have, so I went into debt, and nine years, all of those failed. But You're making a th-
2: great sales pitch here, by the way.
3: Yeah, really. This is really <laughs> convincing for someone to <laughs> want to become an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> Thank God I had that full-time job, or I would have literally
2: probably been eating out of dumpsters, you know? So. So somewhere somewhere along the way, the, the light went off. It went on, I should say. And you had this, this aha moment. And it said, I can do this. Wow, I really can What was that moment? What, what happened? Um,
3: well, you know, so even through nine years of serial failure, I, I saw other people. So I failed at the Amway business, but yet there were people successful at that. They didn't seem to be any smarter than I was. Um, you know, I failed all that. I failed at two different vending businesses, but yet there were people successful in those. I failed at a jewelry business. I failed at a home improvement business. I mean, at all these businesses I failed at, there were other people who were successful at it. So, you know, I think any sane person would have quit, mm. but I just saw that, well, there were other people that have made all these businesses work. It's just for some reason, I'm not making them work. I'm just going to keep moving forward. That's the only thing I knew how to do. I'm just going to keep moving forward until I find what does work for me specifically. So I guess that, that was it. That's what kept me going. Um, what finally led me to my first business success was I stumbled across Dan Kennedy and bought something he was offering then still is called the magnetic marketing system. And what it was, it's all about direct response marketing and using copywriting to get customers, clients, and patients. Pretty much, it was really initially created for brick-and-mortar businesses. So I thought, whatever business I was failing at miserably (laughs) at the time, I thought, well, I can use this magnetic marketing thing to get customers for that business. But what happened was, when I got that thing, All it was, was this big three ring binder of really poor quality copies (laughs) and six cassette tapes that sounded like they were 10th generation copies. People who've only grown up with digital recordings don't understand that. But when you make an analog copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, the quality gets worse each time. And these were so bad. They sounded like 10th generation copies. And I thought, wow, I just paid $397 that I didn't have for paper and ink in six really poor quality cassettes. I like that business model way better than any other business.
2: (laughs) I just found something. Mm -hmm.
3: That was the breakthrough. And I, I really, without knowing hardly anything, the only thing I knew about direct response marketing and copywriting was what I learned in that course and, and learned by observing how Dan Kennedy sold that course So I applied that to a passion and hobby of mine at the time, which was bodybuilding. And I created a self-published bodybuilding course and sold that through uh, ads in the magazines and direct mail. And uh, that was the first business after nine straight years of failure I ever made any money at. And 12 years later, that little mail order business was making enough money that I was able to quit my civil service job, which was the goal the entire nine prior years.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. So what, what did you write for this, this direct mail campaign? What did you, what did you say? What, what, what clicked for it?
3: Um, I didn't, I didn't know what it didn't know. Like I just, all I knew was what I observed. My only frame of reference for direct response copywriting was what I saw Dane Kennedy write. So um, I just kind of followed that model and I wrote what some people call the, the, um, the star story solution formula for copywriting. I, you know, you could also call it the hero's journey, which was really, it was my story. So it was about this, what they call a hard gainer bodybuilder. Somebody has a hard time making any gains and, uh, you know, struggled for years and years and years. And met this power lifter who finally showed, showed him these secrets, you know, and then in eight weeks he was able to put on like 15 pounds of muscle. And so that was the whole sales letter for that course. And see, I was, I was the market. So I understood that market better than anybody. Um, I understood the frustrations, their pain points, their, their biggest desires. I understood the real emotional reasons and psychological reasons behind their desires of why they wanted to get big and strong. And I understood their, their jargon, their lingo. So like I think the reason I was successful in that market and successful with my very first ever sales letter was not because I was a good copywriter was because I just really understood the market. So that's what I put in the letter. Like I, I knew what, these guys worried about what drove them nuts and what they
2: wanted more than anything. That's, that's really important because you can write the best letter in the history of direct mail, but if it's not reaching the people the way they need to be reached, it's just going to get pitched. It's it's knowing what people need and want and hit them with what meets that need and gives them what they want. It's like the old saying that people don't buy a drill because they need a drill. They buy a drill because they need a hole.
3: That's exactly right. When I you know, when I look back at some of the copy I wrote for that business, that business more changed into a supplement business. It was initially just info products, but then I figured out what they really wanted to buy and what would the, what they would buy more frequently was bodybuilding supplements. So, uh, I made a lot of money with very – I'll use the PG term – with very mediocre copy, (laughs) (laughs) mostly because I just understood the market and I knew what they wanted. And so I made the right offer to the right eyeballs at the right time. And could I have done better with better copy? Yeah, probably, but I just wasn't at that point. And, you know, it was – I guess it really didn't matter. The words on the paper didn't matter because I knew what they wanted. I was able to convey that in a way that even though it wasn't perfect, it got people to buy.
2: Um, People, not everything, like you said, it wasn't perfect. And um, not everything that we crank out is going to be perfect. Not everything that we crank out is going to be what we want it to be. Um, but we learn along the way we, we try things and we know that didn't work. Oh, that didn't work. Um, did you along the way make a mistake, say that, you know, something that was like a huge clunker and you said, oh man, I, I know what to do now. And, and you learned from it or something that you, maybe that you caught before it went out because you said, oh, this can't, this is never going to work.
3: Oh my god. I wish I would have made a list of my clunkers
2: <laughs> before this
3: call because there would be a lot of them mm-hmm. like way more clunkers than successes. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So here's a biggie. How about putting the wrong phone number in the sales letter when the call oh. to actually call a phone number?
2: <laughs> that's an
3: oops. That's a pretty big oopsie daisies. Yeah. Um, that's one of many um uh, so, so here's the thing like so so i'm you, you mentioned at the beginning of the call i I'm, I'm one of the one of the best copywriters in the world well we know that must be true because it says so in my newsletter every month so i totally i totally cribbed that from Gary Halbert <laughs> So here's the funny thing. I, I, is, I appreciate those kind of accolades. They actually, that actually, for a lot of reasons, probably growing up as a Midwest boy, that, that still makes me very uncomfortable to hear. Even when I heard it from the stage, when Brian Kurtz said it and I, and my response to him was like, Brian, I'm not, I'm not one of the best copywriters in the world. I'm, I'm not an A-lister. And he's like, wait a minute, what you're getting hired by companies like Agora. If that's not a list, what is? And I had to admit, well, I guess I am, hmm. but it still makes me uncomfortable. Like I said, it's, it, first of all, it's part of the Midwest culture, I guess. Don't, don't be getting too big for the riches, boy. So there's that. But also the fact that, you know, I've been doing this almost a quarter of a century and, uh, and I think people have the mistaken belief that when somebody's been doing it as long as I have and has had successes like I have that like everything you write turns to gold. I still make clunkers because that's the only way to learn. Like I'm just just keep moving forward. And it, there's still tons of mistakes. I just sent out a piece the other day that I was on deadline It was for my own list, but still I have my own self-imposed deadline. So I'm reading this and like, <laughs> They're like, I'm 10 minutes from the deadline. I, I'm just going to send it. And who knows? I mean, this thing could bring in a bunch of money or it could bomb. All I know is that, you know, I can write better than anybody who can write faster and I can write faster than anybody who can write better. If I had a ton more time to spend on it, that thing would be damn near perfect. But I had two days. So I just sent it out. And this happens all the time. This, especially with emails, stuff, you know, for my own list. Um, I, I'm not doing much client work anymore, but even stuff for clients, you've got a deadline. It will never be perfect. You're never gonna, you know, have a perfect batting average. Your batting average is what it is. You just put it out there, wait for the feedback from the, from the market and take that, that data and readjust or or make decisions like, Oh, this was, this stunk so bad. It's just time to burn it or it's got life. Let's improve it. You know, or what's very rare is, oh, my God, it's a home run. In 25 years, almost 25 years, that's happened to me three times. Wow. Thousands of pieces written. So the making the mistakes is that is part of the process. That never ends.
2: It's funny. You start talking about the striking out thing. I have a a thing up here behind me on the wall. It's a quote from Babe Ruth. And it says, don't let the fear of striking out hold you back. I mean, that's from Babe Ruth, of all people. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your actual process. And by the way, I love the fact that you're talking about you, you keep being very low key about your, your, your own abilities. And yet one of the books you wrote was the Rookie Copywriter's Guide. So you're, you're sharing your expertise with others in that form as well, uh, which I think is, is, is very, very cool. Um, but let's get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit. So other other copywriters are going to be reading this and hearing this, and, and they're going to want to learn from you. So let's talk about how you actually do some stuff. Um, how much time do you spend on research versus actual writing?
3: Uh, a lot, it seems like. <laughs> um, I was tracking that for a while. I had a time tracker. I tracked all my activities several years ago, and I could actually tell you percentages probably. Um, so here's the thing, like if I'm writing for some some piece that I've written for, like I've written a lot of health stuff, um, definitely have written a lot of bodybuilding stuff. Not Not recently, but that was a big part of it. I've written whatever you want to call it, like business improvement, slash make money stuff. Um, those and a few others are areas I know really, really well. So I already know the market really well. I don't have to do as much market research into that as like, if I didn't have experience in something. So, so let's say I got hired by a plastic surgeon Well, because of my experience with health and because of experience with some anti-aging stuff and skincare that I've done, I think I know what uh, prospective plastic surgery patients want, but since I'd never really written for that, I'd have to like, I'd be like a rookie with my research at that. So I have to start from the very beginning, a very good place to start. And there'd be a lot of research and a lot of it will be talking to real human beings, if at all possible, face to face, belly to belly. Um, like, but if it's something in health that I've written for before, like some sort of, you know, heart health supplement, I already know the market. I know their hot buttons. I know their desires. I know their fears. I know all that stuff. Um, still in that case, like there's research on the actual product and the ingredients and finding the, the USP, the unique selling proposition, the big idea, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so that, I mean, that's a fair amount of research, but if we're talking about like starting from scratch, so I'm going to write for the plastic surgeon, so
2: it, but I'll, I'll chime in for a second. So your research process then for you, it really depends on what you're researching because there are some areas that you're just, you have a, a comfort with. This is your zone. So It takes minimal research just to get some, some of the hard facts about what you're writing about that specific thing that you're writing about, not the the whole genre, but others you're starting from scratch.
3: Yeah. You know, I just, okay. So I just thought of one I'd, I'd almost forgotten about a few years back. I was hired to write some radio ads. These are like, what were they? 30 second radio ads Mm -hmm. for a large chain of pawn shops. Other than back in the day, me having to pawn some of my musical gear to pay the bills, I, I know practically nothing about pawn shops, nor do I know anything about the people who frequent pawn shops. So I went at, I went and hung out in one of these pawn shops for days, and I talked to the manager, I talked to the employees, I talked to the people coming in there, I talked to the uh, the marketing director, the owner of the company. Like this was, this was hours and hours and hours, days and days and days of research to write, uh, what? Like 300 words max. So in that case, it was probably like, how long did it take to write the radio ad? Um, you know, a couple days short, believe it or not, shorter ads are harder to write. The the shorter the ad, the harder it is to write. Cause every word it has to make you got to justify why every word is in there. So, I mean, it, it, I just focused on that for a week. So it took me a week to write it, but you know, it was like a month of research. It wasn't a solid month of eight hour days, but just to give you, you know, an idea.
2: Some of it's, it's funny. I, I, prior to coming to marketing, I used to work in in, uh, TV news. I was an electronic in electronic journalism. And you know you you have so much time for that newscast, you know, because at at the end of your newscast, it's not like you know the network news anchor is going to sit there and say, well, we'll wait a minute while that local station finishes their newscast. They got to be done on time. So you you have a, a and sometimes the hardest thing is to do a 90 second story on a on a newscast as opposed to a seven minute sweeps piece. It's 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 so much more challenging. Talk to me about the big ideas. You know how how you how do you find your big idea? That's going to make your campaign work. And give me a couple examples of uh, some of your more successful campaigns. Three examples, if you got them. Off the top, well, you of your mentioned head. Well, that, me, throwing you curves here.
3: No, that's fine. I I enjoy it, Bruce. As soon as you mentioned, like talk about big ideas, I, I felt this anxiety in my chest because, like, that's I don't know. Other people seem to be really good at that. For me, that's the toughest part, and that's that's like. That's, that's cracking the code. That's what you get paid for as a copywriter. The writing is like, eh, you know, you can, you don't really need to be a good writer. You know, what you really need to be good at is cracking the code on the big idea. So, so the big idea has to be something that, uh, is extremely attractive to your ideal avatar prospect customer, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it, it has to basically grab them by the eyeballs and, and demand their attention. And, and you, you have so little time to do that. The idea has to be totally right on. And, and the more mature the market, when I say that, what I mean is like certain markets, for example, financial or health, they see so many offers and pitches and promises And over the top claims that, you know, they're like all, they're like me and all the inner city cops I used to work with. Like, there's no story you can tell us that is going to gain sympathy from us. We have heard it all, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
3: like the the really jaded, crusty, "Eh, what a bunch of crap. You know, that's Mm -hmm. certain markets. So your big idea is to get through to those people. And it sounds like an impossible thing, but, um, Sometimes it's just, and again, this depends upon the maturity of the market and how aware they are of the problem or the product. And if you want a really good study in that, there's a book called breakthrough advertising by Gene Schwartz, who was a copywriter that just the first three chapters, if you just really get those first three chapters, you'll understand this market awareness, market maturity. So um, like in the case of my first sales letter, it was just, the big idea was how a hard gainer can gain, was it 15 or 20? I don't remember. Something like how a hard gainer can gain 15 pounds of muscle in eight weeks. That was, that was all that was needed because I knew that was like their biggest hot button. Um, other more mature markets, it's more, it's more difficult. I mean, some good examples are in financial When people were pitching, hey, this company has a new breakthrough that's when it gets approved by the FDA, you'll see, you know, 5,000% return on investment on your stocks, blah, blah, blah. Or, hey, this MIT boy genius has discovered he's cracked the code to getting, uh, you know, some extraordinary return from the markets or something like that. And so, when that market was seeing those kind of things, Clayton Makepeace wrote, um, the Four Horsemen of the Stock Market Apocalypse. That was his big idea. That was his headline. Or um, uh, Stansberry Research, Mike. Uh, what a sin! His name, the copywriter's name, Mike. Uh, Mike pa- Nah, His name is escaping me. But Stansberry Research came out with the end of America. You know mm-hmm. that was their big. It wasn't about. It wasn't. A, you know. It wasn't hair. Hey, it's how to make money in the stock market. Is hey this country is crashing and burning and descending into hell the zombie apocalypse could start at any minute you know
2: that's a big idea
3: uh, that's a really big idea and that market just couldn't ignore it that big idea got more subscribers to their whatever publication that was associated with than like all the mainstream newsstand publications um i was so when i was working with agora i helped launch a health division for them and their first supplement product was a joint pain product, a pain product. And um, we must have, I was working with another copywriter. I, we must have written at least a hundred big idea ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe Schriefer, the the top copy dog there just kept shooting them down. And I was at the end of my, end of my wits, man. And I had been having a lot of shoulder pain. And so I said, all right how about this? How about we just open with this? Uh, Damn it, that hurts. And I was just joking. He's like, that's more unique than anything you guys have come up with. And he ran with it. I mean, that was the big idea. And it seems kind of silly. Like, you know, we didn't talk about benefits. We didn't talk about a product. We didn't talk about anything. We just talked about pain. But when you're pain, you know, that's like, a
2: huge hot button. <laughs> you literally found their pain point. Yes, literally. <laughs> you literally. That's very that's really cool. Um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten?
3: Um, wow. That's a good question. <laughs> um
2: I told you I was a journalist.
3: I can tell, man. You're a really good interviewer. Thank you. But, and I'm glad that I like, I'm glad I, I wasn't prepared with that question beforehand because I, I might've prepared something that, that would be prepared. And usually it's like the first thing that comes to mind. So the first thing I, that came to mind, which I didn't initially say, cause I was trying to find something better. But now that I think about it, this has been really good advice. So Gary Halbert always told me motion beats meditation. And I think you can sum up my entire business career with that and still to this day, like even when I didn't know what I was doing, the fact of moving forward and making mistakes is what led me to figuring out, you know, what worked. Whereas if I would have thought about it or studied something or, you know, brainstormed about it, I, you know, that's all theory stuff. Mm-hmm. Who knows that would have led me if we're talking about business advice, that's probably been some of the best advice I've ever been given.
2: Okay. What about anything specific to writing itself?
3: Um, yes. Uh, you want to be a writer? Just write. (laughs) Uh, And it almost doesn't matter what you write. It just, you know, this goes back to motion beats meditation. You can literally, You know, when you need to produce something, we need to write something. This happens all the time, even to this day. You know, you look at a blank page and it's it's intimidating. And then you start thinking of, well, I need to write this. And then the internal editor starts criticizing that. And then you start second-guessing yourself. And um, you can't produce anything that way. You just can't. Nobody can. So you just got to write. And however you do that, like there have been times where I've literally just written. I've sat down and my first thing I want to do is think about what you write. That is a sure way to kill any creativity or any forward motion. There are times where I've just literally written yada, 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 <coughs> excuse me. And will continue writing yada, yada, yada. The pen won't even come off the page. Halbert forced me to do that. Although what he forced me to write was blah, blah, blah. My preference is yada, yada, yada. And every time my pen stopped moving, he'd shout at me or throw something at me. You know, he didn't throw anything at me that would hurt me. It was usually like a a notepad or some paper or something. And then he'd yell at me. And that was, that really pissed me off. But that was a really valuable lesson. And I still do that to this day. Because like I said, first, when I sit down, the first thing I want to do, let me think. Because I want to write something good. Well, you know, it's just like Kenny Werner, famous jazz musician, says in Effortless Mastery the thing that keeps you from sounding good is your need to sound good. So I, I kind of brushed by my back, my musician backstory, but um, every musician wants to sound good and wants to impress people. You know, we all have these fragile artist egos and especially wants to impress other musicians. That's a sure way to suck. Mm -hmm. Even something that you've, you've, invested thousands of hours practicing to get it under your fingers. As soon as you sit down at whatever it is, the piano, you pick up the guitar, you pick up the sax and you have that need to sound good. It kills your ability to sound good. The thing that's keeping you from writing good. There you go. There's an example. You don't have to be good at English to be a writer. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll say it like Mr. Fleming. My teacher was like, the thing that keeps you from writing well is you not producing a really shitty first draft. So you just got to write, even if it's yada, 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 something is going to come to mind and you write it out. And as best as you can, you have to silence the internal editor. The best way I know to do that is just to continue writing. If it helps you, you can tell the internal editor, I appreciate what you're telling me. You're doing this to help me. It's not helping me right now. So we'll do that editing stuff later. For now, I just need to vomit out something on paper.
2: Hmm. Well, yada yada worked for Seinfeld, that's for sure. Um, yes. Uh, what's your biggest challenge now? Myself. Okay. <laughs> Expand on that just a little.
3: You're a really good interviewer. <laughs> um mindset. Okay. So So that was the nine years of failed businesses. Um, Yeah. There was some lack of knowledge in there too, but the, but the biggest lack was, was mindset issues. So, so still to this day, I'm better than, I'm better than in years past, but I think that's, uh, that's something I'll be working on for the rest of my life, you know, is improving a mindset. Um, Because so, so, skill set can only get you so far and then you're eventually going to top out skill set wise. I topped out years ago. Now the thing that holds me back is mindset wise. So what specifically mindset? Well, you know, it all comes down. Here's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to love. We may be going down a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. So I'll keep this succinct. It all comes down to love. Probably more specifically lack of, which that's where fear comes from. So fear's a biggie. Fear is what is keeping you from writing the shitty first draft. Fear is what is keeping you from doing the forward motion you need to do to progressing your in your business, in your copyright ability, your skill set. Fear is what's keeping you from from writing something that could be a huge home run. If you've got the ability to do that, well. The self sabotage. The fears causing self sabotage. So, um, I've learned something about uh, uh, entrepreneurs, but especially about copywriters and writers in general. A majority of the good ones uh, meet the the clinical diagnostic criteria for depression.
2: <laughs> so, the depressing thought
3: it's a depressing thought. It's also too, it's like a two edged sword. So there's that, but that dissatisfaction is the driving force that drives you to go through all this sweating blood that's necessary to get really good. So, so, you know, I've learned that like all the copywriters are saying like, Oh my God, finally somebody came out and said it. Yeah. So like, But that can screw up the mindset too. that depression. You know, when you sit down there like, Oh my God. All right. So the last thing I wrote bombed and now it's got you in a totally crappy mindset, you know, that you need to be in for creating whatever it is you need to create. So, um, maybe I'm projecting. I don't believe I am after talking with hundreds of entrepreneurs and copywriters, most of them deal with this in some form or another. So when you ask me, what is my biggest challenge? It's me. And it's all those mindset issues, you know, just making sure that I'm, I got, I'm in the right mindset that I need to be in to, to do what I want to do. But you know what? Even when I'm not, I still just keep moving forward because again, the best piece of advice I ever got was motion beats meditation.
2: That's great. And on that note, uh, we're going to stop the motion and, uh, and wrap things up. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, We've been talking with Doberman Dan, who, despite his modesty, is a world-class copywriter and is one of the top people out there in direct response marketing. Dan, thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you, Bruce. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream.